Okay, well, uh, here we are, beginning of a new year, six days into it, um, first Sunday of 2013. Usually uh, the new year brings us to think about two things, right? One is making resolutions. Hopefully you've made some resolutions for this year that are going to benefit you if you stick with them. The other thing that the new year brings is Christmas bills, isn't that right? Somebody said we sing jingle bells during Christmas and we sing juggle bills during January. So I hope you've got yours taken care of. Well, most Americans uh, do make uh, some New Year's resolutions. In fact, according to a uh, New Barner study about for this year for 2013, they've discovered that about two-thirds of Americans have made New Year's resolutions. And the most often mentioned resolution uh, relates to weight and health and diet. Then followed by resolutions relating to money and debt and personal improvement, uh, like in, be, in come, uh, being a better person, being more generous, and having more leisure time. All those are good. The interesting thing is, David uh, Kinnaman, who's president of the Barner Group, uh, pointed out is, though, that only nine out of over a thousand people who took that survey mentioned any kind of resolution that talked about pursuing God to another level. Now, if they mentioned anything at all like that, it was about some kind of activity about doing something for God. But very few resolutions are in that spiritual realm where we make resolutions to pursue a relationship with God uh, on a deeper level. Now, this week uh, might, you might find that uh, you need to go back and make some resolutions or maybe alter some that you've made. Or maybe you've already decided by the sixth day in the year, you're just going to throw them away. You know, you're not going to keep up with them. But hopefully you've made resolutions that might involve some healthy choices, some financial changes, maybe promises to study a little bit more, um, maybe promises even from you to spend a little bit more time with your parents. And then on the other end, maybe for you as moms and dads to spend more time with your children. I believe any resolution that we make and that we follow that helps us become a better person, uh, God uh, pleases God and blesses Him. At the same time, when we make spiritual resolutions and follow them, I know that that really blesses God abundantly. So when you think about making your resolutions, have you included some spiritual resolutions that would be a good thing for you to make? such as faithful and regular attendance in worship during this coming year? How about um, becoming a part of a Sunday morning Bible study class, our Sunday school Bible teaching at nine, uh, 945? This is an interesting thing that, that, that I discovered, um, that this year deacons decided that instead of going by the deacon family ministry plan, which was getting more and more frustrating because more and more families were added and we really just had too many to take care of by assigning them one group of family, 18 or so, to one deacon. We're operating it through the Sunday school. And uh, we, we're basically kind of pairing up deacons if they go to a Sunday school class or they teach in a Sunday school class in that. And then the issue came up about, well, what about those who aren't in a Sunday school class? And it blew me away the number of people who are not in a Sunday morning Bible study class. And while we have one deacon taking care of most classes, and sometimes two deacons taking care of a larger class, we had to assign three deacons to be assigned to the group of people in this church who aren't involved in a Sunday school class. That's the largest assignment that we had to make. Isn't that interesting? 
So that would be a great place to start in the new year in a Bible study class. What about resolutions to have a daily quiet time? Uh, to maybe uh, follow through and be faithful with tithing. I think back in November some of you took that challenge to tithe. And on Prove the Tithe Sunday, November 18th, we had an offering of over $60,000 on Sunday morning. That gives us some idea of our potential for stewardship and then what we can do through ministry in the life of our church. So if you made that commitment to tithe, stay with it. Or what about a commitment to serve God more and then to seek after Him in, in a greater spiritual sense? See, I think those are the kinds of resolutions that really bless God and that He turns around and uses them to bless us. So I want us to be thinking about resolutions in these first three weeks in January uh, with a sermon series entitled, I Resolve. And so that we can think about some of the resolutions that we need to make that would allow us to experience spiritual growth, allow us to uh, strengthen the life and ministry of our church at the same time, and then would encourage us and empower us to reach out and to influence our community uh, even more than we might be trying to do. Now the first one is today, and that is I resolve to be a new person. Now I want you to understand from the very beginning and all the way through this message to you straight out of the Bible is going to be a reminder to you that this is not just saying, okay, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, or I'm going to turn over a new leaf, or I'm going to just uh, get rid of some bad habits in my life. Those are good things to do. But the best thing to do, and the only way you can become a new person, is in that relationship with God. I want you to know that God welcomes that, and He specializes in new beginnings. See, if we trace the Scriptures, beginning in Genesis, we find early, and if you're reading through the Bible and you made that a commitment, that's good. You know, we, we provided Bible reading guides out here in the atrium for you, so you can take that from WMHK that they provided for us and have a pattern for reading through. You might have bought a one-year Bible and, and read through. But you should have begun probably, no matter what plan, in Genesis. So you ought to be fairly familiar with the creation stories there. Maybe in chapters up to 12 or 15 by now if you've read some every day. But remember that God created. He created everything. He loves to create and make things new. Then even in, the, in about the middle of the book, a little bit more towards the, past the middle, is my favorite book in the Old Testament and that's Isaiah. And we find there that, that Isaiah is talking about making things new where God speaks. And God says, I'm going to do a new thing. Do you see it? Can you perceive it? And then in the last book, Revelation, in chapter 21, verse 5, where most of the time we look at the book of Revelation and we think, okay, this is where God's talking about the end of time. Well, it's not necessarily the end of time, it's the consummation of time and the beginning of what God is going to do new because God says, behold, I am making all things new. And so God loves to create and He loves to make new things. In fact, He loves to make new things out of old people like us. And so this resolution to be a new person is a resolution for us to give ourselves in an intimate growing relationship with God where He can transform us and create us into a new person. Now that's going to speak and address two different groups of people today. First of all I want to say to you 
If you are not yet a believer in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you don't have a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, that's the only way you can become a new person and get rid of your sin, get rid of your guilt, get rid of all the filth that's in your life, all the things that are unrighteous and unholy. And you can be assured of that. You get rid of your guilt and all of that. And you're in a relationship with God and He creates you new. And we're going to look at the Scriptures in detail about that. Okay? Now the second group is those of us who have made that decision. No telling how long we've made them, how long we've been a believer and all that. But it's, it's in case you maybe have gone a little bit stale in your faith. Uh, maybe you, um, you've got a little bit stagnant. Maybe you've dropped out on some of the things in life that are important spiritually. You dropped out of a Bible study class. You know, you're, not, you're not in one. You, know, you, don't, you don't spend time with God. Uh, reading and studying the Word and, and having a prayer time, see? And so you might need to find a new beginning in this year in, in renewing your covenant relationship as you give yourself completely to God and experience His power once again that can make you feel like new. Now, our scripture today is a familiar one and it's a powerful one. And the Apostle Paul speaks to us about uh, becoming new. And how that affects our life and our relationship with God. I want you to look with me at 2 Corinthians 5 uh, beginning in verse 14 and reading through verse 21. Paul writes and says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And He died for all that those who should live should no longer live for themselves. But for Him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, this is the key verse. You might want to mark it, circle it, underline it if you haven't already done that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Then look at verse 21. This is the the great verse in this chapter. God made Him who had no sin... To be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now that's a powerful verse. It's one of my life verses. I love that because it just talks about what God did through Jesus to make us a new person. And that that same power and that same opportunity is available for you today. It's available any day, but why not today? See, today is the day of salvation the Scripture talks to us about. If you're not a new person in Christ, then you need to be. You need to hear this. I want you to listen to the portion of verse 17 again. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. See, God loves to make things new. Then we look at verses 18 and 19. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation And and 19 says that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Now, see, that's something important to understand. That's a part of our being made new in the eyes of God and the power of God. Then verse 21 is the key verse. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now that's about 23 words depending upon the translation of the Bible that you use. I'm reading out of the NIV is 23 words. Only two of them are more than one syllable in length. It's profoundly simple, but yet it is simply profound. That God offers to us the opportunity to become a new person, to start over, to be born again, to have a brand new beginning to our life. It's what's called, that verse is called um, the Great Exchange verse. In fact, two men, Jerry Bridges and, and Bob Bevington, wrote a book entitled The Great Exchange about this verse. And this is what they say. It would not be an understatement to view this verse as the single key verse of the entire Bible. Isn't that amazing? Not John 3.16, but this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And they go on to explain it. See, the cross, where the God-man, Jesus Christ, traded places with the sinners he redeemed, exchanging his perfect righteousness for their sin, condemnation, and death, is the great exchange. And that's what Christ did to make us new people if we believe in him. That's how God makes us new. And I want you to think about three aspects of that new life that we can claim in relationship with Christ as we believe in Him. The first is, God gives us a new identity. Uh, there's a hot movie out. Uh, everybody's flocking to see it. Guess which one it is? What? Les Mis. How many of you have been to see it? Well, how many of you have been to see it twice? A couple of us have. I, I usually go to a movie about once every five years. And for some reason, this year, in a week and a half time, I've been to the movie for, for uh, twice. Saw the same show. And it absolutely blows my mind as to how much you pay for popcorn and two drinks. <laughs> and that you can get refills on those drinks. Hmm? But anyway, Les Mis. You know, I'd, I'd read portions of it. I've used portions of it uh, in sermons illustrations, especially that dramatic scene uh, where uh, uh, the main character uh, has been let out of prison and he, he's been staying, he's spent the night with the priest in, in the uh, monastery, I guess, or the abbey or whatever, and, and he steals the silverware during the night. He's caught, they bring him back, and the priest says to him, you know, they, they said, uh, he says, you gave it to him. And the priest said, I did. And he said, but my friend, you forgot the most valuable pieces, and he gave to him the candlesticks. You know, that's just a great transforming thing. Now, here's the interesting thing about the movie. You know, it's done well. The cinematography is great. The music is great and all that. But it's been acclaimed as being uh, the most profoundly Christian story for mainstream audiences that's been produced in years. Now, I read that after I saw it the first time. I did some research on it. And my first thought was, even more so than The Passion of Christ, then I began to think about that. So last night we got together with some people from the church who were there, and I said, did you see these spiritual overtones in here? And the more we got to thinking about it, yeah, well, yeah, maybe, maybe we did. And, uh, the, the, you know, the movie focuses on the redemptive story this writer talks about of Jean Valjean, played by Hugh Jackman. I have no earthly idea what else he's been in because they don't go to movies. But he's a former prisoner. He finds a spiritual rebirth, it's called, through a powerful encounter with God's grace. And maybe he did after the priest extended that grace to him and gave him the candlesticks as well. There's a dramatic scene where he's there before the altar and, and, and he's really dealing with his life and the issues there. So maybe he did experience that. But when they talked to Jackman about playing the part, this is what he said. 
Uh, he said that, uh, that for me, Jean Valjean comes from the, a place of the greatest hardship that I could ever imagine, and he manages to, quote, transform himself from the inside. Now, that's the line that gives me trouble about that, to transform himself from the inside. He says, Victor Hugo, that's the author, uh, uses the word transfiguration, he says, but it's more like a transformation because it becomes more godlike. It's a religious or spiritual change, something that happens from within. Well, that part is true. It is that change that happens from within, but we cannot do it ourselves. Now, when you see the movie, you'll understand that this is what did happen. That Jean Valjean did take on a new identity, and he moved to a new place, and he had uh, a new life. And he did offer grace to the, the, the uh, officer who continued to pursue him. So maybe it's fictitious, and maybe he did have a spiritual encounter. That's one issue. But the reality is, we are real people, and we need to make sure that we understand how we become a new person in God and how God gives us a new identity. It does take place inside, but it takes place by faith, and it's nothing that we do. And the reason it's not because of anything we can do is because of what Isaiah described 750 years before the birth of Christ. And that is that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul puts it in those terms. But Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, we all are sinful people. And therefore, we cannot overcome the problem of sin, which is what separates us from God. But God took the initiative. He came to us and He offered us through Christ. And the great exchange that Christ made on the cross, the opportunity for us to become a new person. Listen to verse 21 again. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, very quickly, I want to I point out three great doctrines here that are so important. Doctrine's not dry. It is it's just, it's absolutely mind-blowing when you get into it and you understand it. First of all, there is the grace of God that we see in what God did for us in offering us opportunity uh, and the reality to be a new person if we accept that. And he writes in Titus and he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's talking about the coming of Christ. And Christ brought God's grace You'll notice that the first word in verse 21 is God. The last word is God. This reconciliation, it begins with God and it ends with God. Because God extends to us His grace. Now what is grace? God gives us what we need and not what we deserve. And God gives us that grace in Jesus Christ to start over. To have a new heart. To have a new life. To take care of all of our guilt. To take care of all of our shame. To take care of all of our sin. And here's what you need to notice. All the other religions of the world, in all those other religions, it's always the people having to pursue after God, after whatever that God is. But in our faith in Christianity, it's all about God coming and pursuing a relationship with us. Why does He do it? Because He loves us. And He offers us that out of His grace. That He comes to us and He brings Jesus Christ into our life. And in that grace, He exchanges our guilt for His grace. So there's the doctrine of God's grace. The second one is then the atonement of Jesus. Verse 21 begins with God initiating that reconciliation. And this is how it goes about. 
he knew him, he made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Now that takes us straight to the cross. That on the cross, Jesus literally went there to die in your place and mine. He not only died for our sin, he died as sin. He became sin. See, the Bible is affirmed all the way through that he was without sin. Even when he was being condemned, Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. You read what Isaiah says again in Isaiah 53, and he says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now, see, the doctrine contained in that truth is, this is the substitutionary atonement of Christ, that he bore our sins on the cross and literally became sin for us. He became a substitute for us. We know what a substitute is. You have sometimes substitute teachers at school. I had a substitute preacher for me last week, Lee Clamp. I'm sure he fed you well from the scriptures. Um, you watch sporting events, no matter what it is, baseball, football, basketball, soccer, hockey, lacrosse, whatever. And you've got substitutes who go in and relieve players and switch out and all that. So Jesus was our substitute. Going to the cross and the atonement simply means paying back what's due. And we couldn't pay back what was due in our debt of sin. But Jesus went to the cross being perfect and that's what he did. He paid our sin debt. Isn't that absolutely amazing? And see the atonement of Jesus you can really understand it better when you pronounce it at one Because that, that's what happens in the atonement is that we become one with God in that relationship. And in that process of the atonement, our sin debt is paid, and God exchanges our failure for His forgiveness. So that's the atonement of Jesus Christ. The third one is the justification by faith. The Bible says, compared to God's perfect righteousness, all of our acts at attempting to be righteous are nothing but uh, filthy rags. That's interesting, isn't it? So we, we are nothing but filth. And sin in the sight of God. We're all nothing but filthy rags. There's no way then that we could achieve to the righteousness of having a relationship with God, right? Now, I love the book of Isaiah. And doing this work through here, I found a passage there in Isaiah 61.10 that maybe I've read so many times I just glossed over it. But listen to what, what Isaiah writes. And he says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. You see, God doesn't simply remove our sins and the guilt and the shame and and all that goes along with that. And he not only brings us into a right standing with him where we are at one with God, but he also puts on us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's how we are able to have a relationship with God. He's holy and righteous and perfect. Jesus Christ was perfect, and he came and shed his perfect blood so that our sins could be forgiven and we could have that relationship with God. And when God looks at us now, he doesn't see us as sinners, but he sees us through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, there's only, there's only one way that we can be made right with God. Too many times people try to do it themselves and think it's something they can do or earn or buy. You can't do it. Only a perfect human being can do that. And no one, none of us in here are perfect. Only Jesus was perfect and he went to the cross as the perfect sacrifice and the perfect substitute for us so that we could be exchanging our filthy rags for God's righteousness. 
Isn't that an amazing offer that God gives to us? Maybe you've never heard that before. Maybe this first Sunday of 2013, you've heard for the first time how to have an intimate personal relationship with God. And you can be righteous in His sight. And you don't have to be condemned by your sin, by your guilt, and by your shame. But you can be a new person. You can walk out of here today a brand new person. Isn't that absolutely profound? That's how much God loves you. That's how much God cares about you. Verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That phrase, in Christ, is so significant. It's used 172 times in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul used it 97 times in his writing, simply to remind us of what? That it's only in Christ that we become a new person. I resolve to become a new person. You might make that resolution as a result of this message. But the only way you do it is by being in Christ. In Christ, it's so powerful. And you ask, well, how does that come about? It comes about through faith. You open your life, you trust in Him, you repent of your sin, and you come to understand Him. You see, we need to understand that becoming a new person is made possible only as we become born again. Remember Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and he talked about spiritual things and Jesus said you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. And see that we have to be reminded that we have a physical birth when we're born into this world but we also need a spiritual birth where we're born into the realm of eternity and to a relationship with God. So if you've never made that decision, you've never uh, known the, the freedom of being in a relationship with God, having your sins forgiven, then I offer you that today through God and His Word, that you can be a new person today by being in Christ. You believe that what Jesus did on the cross is the perfect sacrifice for your sins. You confess and acknowledge your sins to God, that yes, I am a sinner, I know I can't do anything about it. And you believe that what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient, and you trust that, and your sins are taken away, and you're in a relationship with God. So see, we need to understand that our new identity is so significant because it's only found in a relationship with God. And then there's another reason why we need to understand the importance of that new identity and being in Christ. It's because when we are in Christ, that's where we find our identity. That's where we find our significance and our meaning in life. Now, you, you can look for that in all areas of your life. You can look for it simply in your marriage relationship. You can look for it simply in your parenting relationship. You can look for it through your career or through your athletic activity. Or you can look for it through, it through scholastic ability. A lot of people do all of those means for, for, for finding uh, that self-fulfillment. But all of those things can be taken away from you. You realize that? Oftentimes it happens. The children all grow up and leave home and mom and dad have invested all their life in nothing but those children. Not building their life but everything in those children. They've had them in dance and band and ball and this and that and they wore out tire, sets of tires and vehicles and all that doing that and the children leave and go to school and guess what? Mom and dad are miles apart. See but it's in Christ. When you get in Christ and you got your life together in Christ See, that's so significant. Why? Well, identity theft is one of the things we're dealing with in this day and time, right? And then the, the breach of our security of our important documents here in the state of South Carolina is a great concern to us. But identity theft is nothing new. 
It's been going on ever since the beginning of time because Satan is the one who would always come and accuse God's people and say, you think you're good enough for God to love you? You're not good enough for God to love you. Or you do something wrong. You do sin. And Satan says, see there you sin. You're not really a believer. You're not a Christian after all. And God says, no, no, no. It, you're not what Satan says you are. You're who I say you are. And if we're in Christ, what are we? We are robed in his righteousness. And we're a child of God. That's our new identity. If you resolve to be a new person, then you can do that. But you have to do it only through a relationship with God, through faith in Jesus Christ. And then you will find that how, how many phrases about being in Christ just pop out of the Scriptures uh, just to show you what we get out of being in Christ. But i got to move on. The second, the second thing we need to see about this, resolving to be a, a new person, is God not only gives us a new identity, He gives us a new purpose. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15, towards the end, Paul says that we who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. I want to ask you a very important question. What's the purpose of your life? Do you know what the purpose of your life is? Or do you just get up every day and go to a job you don't like, deal with people you don't like, come home unfulfilled and tired and irritable? Are you just wandering through life without any sense of purpose, any sense of identity, any sense of fulfillment in anything that you do? What's your purpose in life? See, it's both general and particular. The purpose in your life, Paul says right here is, is that we should live for the one who saved us. That is, our life should be lived as a testimony to God. And then he gives to us specific ways then that we live that out. You know, like for me, it was a specific call to be a pastor. He called me into full-time ministry. I know that the, he's called others out of this church. I think out of this youth group right here, uh, there's going to be some that God's going to call and call into ministry. But we're all supposed to minister in his name and serve him. Some of us are called to do that as our life's calling and vocation. But every one of us is to live for the one who died for us. Now, I look at a lot of our church statistics and what's going on in religion in America. And sometimes I look out across this body of people. And sometimes I ask, why don't you smile more often when you're up there? You know? I thought, well, I'm not going to tell you the truth, but I will now. It's sometimes because of what I see out there. You know what I see? A lot of times I know I'm looking at a lot of people who are not enjoying their religion. They're just enduring it. Let me ask you a question. Are you happy in your relationship with God? Are you really happy in your relationship with God? Are you just enduring it? Because if you're only enduring it, you're missing out on a wonderful life that God has for you. Can you imagine that? I mean, think about that. The God of all the universe, the God so powerful, so holy and righteous, pursues you in Jesus Christ to have a relationship with you. And you're just going to endure that? You're not looking forward to heaven at all, are you? Not at all. So you've got to enjoy that relationship. You've got to enjoy that relationship. If you've got a Presbyterian background, you might recognize the Westminster Catechism. The opening line says this, What is the chief and highest end of man? And the answer is given to glorify God and to enjoy 
him forever. Whether we're Presbyterian or not, we're Baptists, uh, we still need to enjoy God. That needs to be our relationship, to worship him, celebrate, and, and, and enjoy him. See, once we come to be that new person and have a new identity, then our purpose in life is to glorify God. Now, this is the time of the year where you're making resolutions. This series of messages is going to be on resolutions. I resolve today, I resolve to be a new person. I want to give you a challenge to maybe uh, a resolution that you've already made. If you made a resolution, something like this, that I want to put Jesus first in my life, I want to give you a challenge. Hear me carefully. Do not put Jesus first in your life. If somebody beside you is sleeping, wake them up. Let them hear this again. Do not put Jesus Christ first in your life. Now, before you go out of here thinking I'm a heretic, let me explain it to you. When we think about prioritizing our life, we normally say what? Well, I'm going to put my relationship with God and Christ up here first. And then I'm going to prioritize everything under that. It ought to be family, that comes next. Then my career, you know, my job, whatever that is. Uh, if you're still in school, you've got to do your schoolwork. That's got to come down somewhere. And then all your other outside activities and all those kinds of things like that. Sounds good, doesn't it? You can even put it on paper and make it look good. But then let me ask you this question. How's that working for you? What does it mean to put Jesus first? If you're going to put Jesus first, does that mean you forsake your family for a while so you can put Jesus first? To put Jesus first, does that mean you slough off on your job? You don't show up? You don't give all the work that you're supposed to give? You don't give honest work for an honest pay? If you're going to put Jesus first, does that mean you spend more time with Jesus and you don't spend it on your studying? So we have really a problem when we understand it that way. So let me explain to you. I'm not a heretic. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. And I want to give you a challenge. Instead of putting Jesus first, I want you to do what you find as a challenge in Colossians, particularly what uh, Paul writes in Colossians where he talks about the fact that Jesus is uh, the creator and Jesus is the very image of God. And for, in Colossians 1, 15 through 20, repeatedly he talks about Jesus being first and, and creating all things and through him and to get, he holds all things together and he reconciles all things to himself. And the very truth of what Paul is trying to get us to understand is that Jesus has first place, as he describes it there in Colossians, because he is at the center of everything. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Instead of putting Jesus first, I want you to put him at the center of your life. And when you put him at the center of your life, then things look like this. It will be my family and Christ together. It will be my vocation and Christ together. It will be my school and, and my relationship with Christ together with me. You see how that works? You're not separating them one from the other. You know why I think most people just endure their religion? Number one, they just don't get excited about much of anything anymore. But the other thing is you have a tendency to categorize your life and Jesus is over here for Sundays. And you leave him here on Sunday. And you need to take him with you wherever you go and let him be the center of everything in your life. Amen. See, that, that's how you live for a new purpose, to bring glory and honor to God. So don't make him first in your life.
But understand, make him the center of your life completely. Now, here's the third thing we learn from this passage of Scripture is this. Not only does God give us a new identity and a new purpose, He also gives us a new nature. A new nature. Verse 17 says, the old is gone, the new has come. It's a new nature that He gives to us. All right, so then that raises a question, doesn't it? If my sinful nature has been defeated by Christ and He's given me a new nature, why do I still sin? How do you explain that? If I've got a new nature, why do I still sin? It's interesting that the same word that is used for creation at the beginning of time is the word that's used here in the fact about God creating us and making us new. And God took a little bit of time to create the world. He didn't do it all at one time. And the same thing is true with working with us and our nature. Now here's the reality of that. What really changes is our entire life as we grow in that relationship with God. That the sinful nature has been defeated. Our sin has been forgiven and taken away. But you remember the struggle that Paul had and he talked about in Romans 7? And he talked about the fact the thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I don't want to do, that's the very thing I find myself doing. See, that's the way most of us live in it. We disappoint ourselves in that. And, and Paul finally says, it's not me, but he says it's sin still there that's at work. See, there's still sin in our life. Even though our sin has been forgiven and, and we are in a relationship with God. That sin is there. And that's what you've got to work through that process of, of going in Christ, being in Christ, having your time with Christ, letting him speak to you, hearing what he says to you, and doing what he says. And it's in that process then that the new nature of righteousness overpowers the old nature of sinfulness. That's why we stress Bible study time. That's why we stress your private prayer time. That's why we stress the fact that you get together with God and you spend time with Him and then you take Him and you put Him in the very center of your life. Because when you do that you are never absent from Him. And you haven't categorized your life to say, my faith is over here, my family is over here, my work is over here, my school is over here, my athletic stuff is over here, my band stuff is over here. See, that it all comes under the Lordship of Jesus Christ that He might have first place in all things. And that happens only when you put Him at the center of your life. And that new nature that we have from God in Christ then begins to emerge more and more and more. Paul says, it's not really me, it's sin that remains in me because he's been changed. I'm sure all of us at some point in time in our life have seen a transition in a business where um, it's got a sign up that says under new management, right? And you think, well, let's say take a restaurant, for example. And they say, I went there one time, I ain't had a good experience there, I'm not going back. Then you ride by and the sign that says open under new management. You think, well, you know what, I might give them a second chance. And so you might try it again. The reality is every one of us who have been born again in a relationship with God are a new person. We need to wear some kind of identification that says under new management. And that's the management of God. So on this first Sunday, 2013, here's the resolution. I resolve to be a new person. And you need to understand. Let me underline it one more time. You don't do it. It's what you accept 
that God offers to you in Jesus Christ. God, in his gracious love, sent Jesus Christ to become our sin bearer, to go to the cross, die in our place, because he loves us. Now, if you've never accepted that love, you've never been born again, you need to, you need to come to that point in your life, maybe today, where you're willing to open your life to Christ and allow him to come in and believe in him. Now, if you are that believer, we talked about this at the beginning of the message. If you're a believer and been there for a long time, you've got to look at your life and say, am I just enduring my relationship with God or am I enjoying it? And I will say to you, if you're just enduring it and you're not enjoying it, you need to become closer related to God. You need to draw closer to Him. Let Him transform some things in your life. Get rid of some of the habits. Help, let Him help you prioritize your time and, and your desire to be with Him. And you see, in all that process, God continues to work to make us into that new person and our new nature emerges more and more like Christ Jesus. So this year, resolve to be a new person. Father, we thank you that you are indeed a God who loves to create and to make things new. And we thank you that you have given to us through Jesus Christ, your son, uh, that wonderful opportunity to become a new person, to be born again so that we can be free of our sins and have a relationship with you. And so I pray, Father, that as we come to a, to a close in this worship hour, uh, that we will be a, a, a very serious about hearing what you would say to us. For those who need to accept Christ and embrace him, uh, speak to their heart and draw them to you, Father, with those cords of love. And for those who are believers but not really enjoying that relationship, allow them, Father, to come to, to, come to the conclusion that they need to draw closer to you and to be more intimately involved with you, putting Jesus Christ at the center of their lives. Lord, I pray these decisions and all decisions to be made to your glory and in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord.